Thank you for joining me on Unbound. This is Cher. Today, I have a special broadcast of a conversation between me and relationship coach, mentor, and friend, Miles Scott. My healing journey began with Miles more than a year ago as he was a group facilitator, then became my coach, and now a close and valued friend. Recently, I experienced heavy emotions over the release of my book, Unbound, 100 Days of Intent. I invite you to join us and listen as we go into a deep and stirring conversation of emotional resilience, our survival programs, and more as he helps me uncover why I experienced a fear of being seen from the shame I carry surrounding my truth of my story. Join us. So welcome, Miles, and thank you for joining us today. Um, Miles Scott is a mentor, a coach, a new dog dad, (laughs) and and, uh, among other things, um, a friend. Um, And Miles, I can't thank you enough for joining me today on this podcast. Um, And we'll have a little bit of a conversation about some of the things that are closest to our our hearts and the work that we both do. So good morning. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much for that introduction, Cher. It's great to be here. Great to be supporting a friend's podcast. So this is something that's also very dear to my heart. Um, Yes, it's great to be here and looking forward to this discussion. Okay, so discussion. Um, I was looking back over some of the more recent posts and attachment theory seems to be a real strong theme, uh, something that seems to be very important to you as well as um, one that really struck a chord with me yesterday, which is emotional resilience and why it grabbed me was because I feel like unless we are resilient And unless we can sit through a lot of what we're going to be uncovering through learning about our insecure attachments, I kind of feel like we might not make it. So talk to me about this. What what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So emotional resiliency for those who are listening and are not familiar with the term is essentially how resilient or, um, how we can manage our emotions, how, how we can uh, self-regulate in the moment in order to overcome the emotion, not bypass it, but allow it to be there and then still make conscious decisions afterwards. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that we wouldn't make it um, if we didn't learn about our insecure attachments. I think that at some point, evolution is pretty much built into the universe. Uh, so people are going to become more and more aware uh, over time. But I do think it's going to pose a lot of different problems in their relationships and even their professional lives if they don't understand their attachments or where these attachments, really the insecure attachment and where that comes from. And so I've been really digging in uh, to... <clears throat> I've been digging into relationships and I started off my, uh, my coaching career as a relationship coach. And that happened after a painful breakup. And I just started studying more and more about it. But when I, when I got further and deeper down this rabbit hole of relationships, I realized that all relationship problems aren't relationship problems. They're actually self issues, issues with self. And everything that we experience in relationships can be tracked back to self. But then we were, when I was digging even further and past that, well, okay, where do these issues from self come from? And as you continue to go down this rabbit hole, you realize that 
most of the issues that we face in our lives stem from our upbringing, our familial conditioning. And so that got me really interested in, and, uh, in, in pursuit of, you know, my own education around this stuff. And the attachment wound is what creates an insecure attachment. So before I go off on like a, a longer tangent there, I just wanted to ask if that cl- cleared up that question for you. It, it did. It did actually. Um, go back to your, go back to how you started this. You said that, okay. You said that you started coaching and, and this is something that um, has always intrigued me is how do we, how do we fall into these, to this inner work? How did you get into the inner work? I'm really curious about that one. Yeah. So the inner work for me started when, well, for one, when I realized I needed it, when, when I awakened to the fact that I was no longer the victim of my circumstances. And for a lot of people that comes from pain and trauma. And I think the gift in trauma, you know, looking back on everything is that, trauma is the gift that allows us to awaken it is a deep and powerful energy that allows us to alchemize it and use it for something productive and so my trauma in life which happened after a breakup um, a really crazy relationship but uh, long story short there at the end of it I thought I was a narcissist and I actually took on that title And that became who I was. And so what we believe about ourselves becomes our reality. And that's also the lens through which we see everything and perceive everything. And so thinking I was a narcissist, the belief around that was that I was hopeless, right? If you're a narcissist, you can't change. You can't love anyone. You're never going to be loved ever again. And my life just seemed very uh, worthless, And so I became uh, suicidally depressed for a good year after that. And when I was ready, I realized that I was actually creating my own suffering. How, How did you know you were ready? Okay, and where that question came from is because... I know we have a choice. We have a choice to sit with our trauma and... Or, or do something about it, but was there a moment? Was there something that stirred you? Was there, was there an intervention? Somebody talked to you about it? Or, you know, what, um, what was that turning point? Yeah, so it didn't happen all at once, but there was this one instance that I remember very vividly. And I was just, I was laying in my bed and I was looking up at the ceiling and I was just bedridden. I didn't want to move. Um, And I'd been like that for a long time. And normally the thoughts in my head that would come through were, why are you such a piece of shit? Why are you a narcissist? Uh, All of these, you know, self-deprecating, degrading comments and thoughts to myself, which stemmed from the belief about me being a narcissist. But one day, and it wasn't really me that came up with this thought, it just happened. And the new thought that came through was, how can I become happy? Mm. And so I'm a very firm believer now, looking back, that the quality of our life is dependent upon the quality of the questions that we ask ourselves. Oh. And so the quality of that question altered the course of my life. How can I become happy? Prior to that, I didn't even think happiness was an option. But because it was phrased in the question the way it was, I started thinking, okay, well, how can I become happy? Three key words right there. How can I? Yeah. Not why can I, why am I not happy? Like so many survivors, people who are still stuck in the victim mindset will ask the question of why am I not happy? Why is this happening to me? Instead of how can I change this? How can I fix this? Right. What can I do about this? Exactly. Yeah, that was my turning point was asking, you know, not 
<laughs> not why, but when when I when I stumbled across your page and your information, it was what's he got that that's so different? <laughs> how are these people like this, and how can I get this? So that's that was the beginning of my journey. So you're very right on that. The quality of the questions that we ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. Interestingly Teach. enough, when I asked myself that question, I had to do something else that was really really difficult and this set me on another round of depression which was i had to actually accept all of the bad things that i thought about myself and at the time i didn't have the wherewithal or the self-awareness to understand that a lot of the things that i was believing weren't even mine to take on the things that i was believing about myself came from the way I was raised, the environments that I had put myself in, the things that I had absorbed from other people, like their projections. So my ex had called me a narcissist, but that's not true. I was just narcissistic. I had these narcissistic qualities because I was living in survival mode when I had hardly any self-awareness. So I had to accept all these things about me. And then I figured it out later on that I was shedding all of these different beliefs that I had that I had thought were true at one point, but weren't true once I learned more and more and more about myself. And that is the foundation, by the way, of, of what it is that, and I can't, I don't like the word teach, but of what it is that you share. That's the information that, that you share the learning, the lessons that you share with others. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, everyone has a story. Everyone has some sort of story that other people can resonate with. And I think by sharing my story, it allows other people to see what's possible for them. So I'm a big proponent of like learning how to become the creator of your experiences and removing the victim mindset so you can actually see what's happening clearly. Because once we get stuck in that victim mindset bubble, all of our experiences then get filtered through that lens and we think we're powerless to change anything. But if we really want change in our lives, we have to pop that bubble. We have to see, we have to see and we have to ask ourselves, what can I learn from this? How can I change this? All those things that happened to me in the past, they may have happened to me, but it is now my responsibility to do something about it. And when you hit your emotional threshold, that point in which you can no longer continue living the way that you're living, that's when you can make real change in your life. Is that when you know when your, what your, what your strength is? is when you make that determination. Okay, because the other day we talked about fear of being seen. Is that when we know whether or not we can push through those fears of being seen and of being heard and actually speak up? And I'm so, talking from a, from a survivor standpoint. So that's a great question. And I would love to hear a little bit more context for the listeners around what it was that was your personal experience around the fear of being seen. And then we can go back into the answering the question. Okay. Okay. Um, my book, my book is about to be published. Yay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. I've been waiting for this for a long time. It's been a process. However, writing the book started out as just real quick background. Writing the book started out as journaling my story as part of an exercise that you had given to me. Mm -hmm. um, as my coach. Now, that was the easy part. There was some, there was a struggle writing it, but then when it actually got to the point where the book was being mailed to me from the publisher for the fruit, for the proof, the final proof, something grabbed me inside. There was a feeling of anxiety um, and of real dread, real fear that, oh my gosh, my story is going to be published if I say yes, that's all they were waiting on is me to send them one word. Yes. And that scared me. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I, I remember I reached out and I'm like, what is this? Why am I feeling this way all of a sudden? Because I have been pretty bold about some of the things that I have shared publicly. And, um, I, I, I don't know what it was, but something had gripped me and you within less than three minutes. And I think less than five words. <laughs> Fear. I mean, that was amazing. It, I'm going to put a plug in here right now for that kind of coaching because somebody, when I can send out a simple message of why am I feeling this? And you come back in less than three minutes and five words and give me an answer that resonated so deeply that it was the truth fear of being seen. I was like, okay, well, shoot (laughs) that problem is solved. So my book is now going to be published. I did say yes. Um, to the publisher and um, it's it's in the process of getting printed now um, do out here so yeah. huge share I just want to say congratulations and I'm so proud thank of you. you thank you so much that means the world to me because uh, well yeah we we've uh, we've both been through this journey together um, you have really witnessed and um, seen and been very instrumental in a lot of the growth from being a full-fledged victim and grow into survivor and now creator. So thank you for that. Absolutely. It's been (laughs) miraculous to see how you've grown in the past, what year? Yep. About a year. That's, that's been about it. Um, Yeah. A year ago. Well, we had just graduated the first gauntlet. Mm just graduated the first gauntlet and that one um i don't think there's going to be any other gauntlets that can compare to that one <laughs> i hope not <laughs> mm-hmm. we can oh, laugh about man. it now but man then we're all scratching our heads just going "Ooh, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah that one was brutal <laughs> it was but you know what there's so much that came out of it um I didn't throw in the towel. I yeah. found my resiliency. I hadn't, I knew the word. Boom, I full found, circle. Yeah, I found what I was made of. Um, and then the story just continued from there. So, but, okay, so, do, oh, shoot. Can you go back to the question then? <laughs> the uh, original <laughs> question, emotional resiliency or what? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. You could go back to that one or you could go back to, you know, and I completely now have spaced off that question that I asked you because I got so involved in, in um, sharing with you. So yeah, these, these podcasts are not linear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You had asked me about the fear of being seen. Yeah. Oh, how we, um, how we push through that. As survivors, you know, we go from 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 that moment to being a victim and of feeling every part in our minds and in our bodies that we are a victim. And, you know, I mean, I myself, I could probably give the description of how you go from victim to survivor to creator, but I'd rather hear from you what it was that you knew exactly that I was afraid of being seen. I mean, how did you arrive to that answer? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to, I'm about to share with you and everyone listening, the key, the absolute key to all of healing. And once you understand this, everything starts to make a whole lot more sense. So underneath all of our fears Usually, okay, let's go back to uh, attachment wounds. Okay. We had to create these adaptive survival programs in order to earn love, approval, and acceptance. For some people, that looks like perfectionism. Perfectionism is just another way to avoid rejection. In order to be, they had to earn love by being perfect. Um, Some people learn to fight or throw tantrums and that earned them connection some people uh instead of earning connection they thought it wasn't available to them and so they isolated 
and so they uh, they became avoidant and pushed connection away. Um, so there's all these different survival programs that we have, and one of them, which shows up very clearly, is fear of rejection, which is the fear of being seen. But underneath the fear of rejection, what is that? What is that really? And this is where it gets really interesting is because in our earliest childhood experiences and even in our adult experiences, if we have experienced some sort of trauma and trauma doesn't have to be some big, you know, blown out of proportion event, it can be subtle, like developmental trauma and developmental trauma is essentially when you pretty much had to like, when your needs weren't uh, important that when you, when your, your parents made or your caregivers made their needs more important than your own. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you learned that like, you didn't really have an identity other than pleasing them or taking care of your siblings or, you know, whatever you had to do, you couldn't really make choices for yourself. So underneath all of this, is this belief that being who we are is unworthy of love, approval, and acceptance. Mm. And that belief alters the course of like our patterns and our habits, but also like those habits then start to influence our biochemistry. So for instance, Because of this belief, we then get further into these, these patterns of, like, if we don't think that we are worthy of love, well, then our entire life is now dedicated to how can we earn that love? And so if you look back on your past, you can see how, if you were to highlight, like, the different events in your life, how you have tried to earn love, approval, and acceptance from other people, and tried to minimize the possibility of rejection all in one. But this this is rooted in the belief that we're unworthy of love as we are, which then becomes shame. And shame is the belief that something is bad, true, and permanent about us. Okay. Now that shame, it starts out as like a thought, right? A perception that something is wrong with us. Otherwise we would have gotten the love that we wanted. Then it becomes a belief when it's repeated. And then it also becomes a static emotion or a static energy within us. And so we trap shame in our bodies. And this shame can, can become anxiety, deep fear, and it can also influence our biochemistry, our uh, physiology. And because of the feelings in our body, then we start to react to things compulsively because we're trying to prevent ourselves from ever feeling that same pain or shame ever again. And it also influences our other decisions, our conscious decisions as well. In order, if to the extent that we hold this deep shame is to the extent that we try to cover it up in different ways. So that could look like putting on masks, that could look like perfectionism, that could look like um, pursuing status, achievement. Mm. Or that could look like finding your worth in other people. So the avoidance are more prone to status, achievement, and productivity and busyness to get themselves from, from not having to think about or be alone with their thoughts and their shame. The anxious are a little bit more conscious of their shame. They view it mostly as insecurity. And they're more prone to trying to cover that up by using other people to get their connection needs met. 
So when you come back to your question and you say, okay, what is the actual thing that's going on here? Well, it's shame being projected as the fear of being seen. Oh. You know, that that nails it. Honestly, it does. Because first off, thank you for that in-depth explanation. Um, that's going to blow a lot of minds. <laughs> <laughs> because, because when I finally received my book, um, in the in the proof format that it's in. And I was going through line by line, you know, you prove looking for errors, et cetera. Um, I was able for the first time ever to read my story without crying, without fear, without any kind of other emotion other than the awareness of, wow, I've come a long way. And this is, this was a part of my life that is no longer me now. And it was just an amazing feeling to, to be able to look at my own story without that feeling of shame and guilt and unworthiness. Mm. That was a huge moment for me. And in, and in just reading that by the end of the night, I felt really at peace and settled with my decision to publish this. And then my vision statement came out of it. So <laughs> it Beautiful. was, uh, it was really, a, it was really an evening. It was quite a night. Um, and, and I just, I feel like in just being acknowledged that it was fear of being seen, just having that acknowledgement, um, even though it wasn't you giving an answer, it was more of an acknowledgement of this is what this is. Mm -hmm. I knew what I had to do based on the tools I learned in the gauntlet. <laughs> I knew what I had to do, which was just sit with it. Mm. I had to be strong and let it happen. So, yes. So, Cher, I feel actually really compelled to uh, tell you something. And this might make this even more... I'm not sure what the word is that I'm looking for here, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway and see what your response is. So the shame or the fear of being seen might just be an old program that's running and it might not actually be what you're feeling in the now. Like it might not be who you are in the now. It might just be an old program that's surfacing kind of like a trigger and a trigger is an emotional flashback. Yes. So perhaps it is just your limbic system making an association between releasing this book and then some painful memory that you've had that has been suppressed where you also felt shame or you felt um, being exposed in some way. And so... Mm, it goes back. Well, I know which point it goes back to right off the bat. And it's in my book. It's it's the story that I wrote about where I had to. Um, it, it, it revolves around truth. Around, you know, the story is my truth. And it's one that I've been trying to get out for years, but all my life. Well, it goes yeah. back to being in the courtroom as a child. Yeah, they used mm -hmm. to put kids on the stand. Back in the 60s, they didn't care. Um, but I had to testify against my own mother as to what I saw. I was being told by my father to lie about it, lie about what he was doing to me, but tell the truth about her. Mm. So telling my story has always been very, very, very difficult. Um, mm. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, shame of, of telling the truth, um, you know, you've got one parent telling you not to lie and the other parent telling you to lie. And then both parents simultaneously telling you to lie no matter what. Yeah. So I can definitely see how one that would be extremely um, challenging and, and uh, confusing as a child. And two, I can also see how that would play into the present when 
you had been conditioned to learn that it wasn't safe to tell the truth, to tell yeah. your truth. And so, so we as you, quiet. sorry, say that again. I said, and so we become quiet. We we don't ask for or say the things that we need. Um, I didn't. I didn't ask for the things that I needed or wanted in my life. Um, I became a doormat, <laughs> essentially, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. yeah. So you're yeah. right. Um, I do. I would have to agree that 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 it is an old pattern. You know, feeling that that fear of being seen wasn't so much afraid of you know, putting myself out there. It was afraid of this is my truth and it's going to come out and who's going to react. Yeah, absolutely. It's just an association being made from the present and the past. But it's amazing thing, what our minds do. Yeah, the uh, the limbic system is really fascinating to learn about, and just like a really quick um, rundown of that, the limbic system is like an emotional uh, memory bank, where anything that had emphasis emotionally gets stored. In your limbic system it's recording everything but the ones that really get um, emphasized are the ones that you can either remember really vividly or at the same uh, on the other side of the same token you disassociate from because they're so painful but this is all happening unconsciously and so if you're in the present moment and something triggers you it's likely that your limbic system made an association between whatever happened in the present moment and some sort of memory in the past that has some emotion tied to it. So when you're thinking about you know, releasing this book and you have this fear of being seen, well, that doesn't have to be your truth in this moment that there's shame around it. There might still be some shame in your memories and there's emotion tied to that. And it might be in your body a little bit, but that doesn't have to be your truth anymore. And so that's really key thing to to be aware of is that you can rewrite your story in the now by acknowledging that this doesn't have to be your truth it's just a connection that was being made and as a survivor i know that people with ptsd and cptsd they feel their triggers very very viscerally yes <laughs> yes yes and it can be overwhelming and that's when the emotional resilience has to come in because you have to be able to sit with that discomfort and use your conscious awareness to say, this isn't my truth. This is just an emotional flashback. And if I sit through this discomfort and accept it and allow it to pass through me, now I can make a decision that's more aligned with my truth in the present. <laughs> Okay, how do, now let me see. What can a person do who hasn't had any training, who's just new, stumbled into this podcast, and they've got PTSD or, or is it CPS, that one, tongue-tied this morning. How do they get to that point where they can t tell themselves, this is not my truth? How do they know? What's the difference? Mm. So I'm going to say two things. One is um, the witness perspective. Okay. And the other one is self-compassion. So when you notice some of this coming up, remember to observe it and become the witness of it. The more you identify with your emotions and your thoughts, the more you become them. That's the key right there. Okay. So we have to learn to distance ourselves from them. So that way we can look at it from an objective point of view. Not detach, distance. There's distance. A, you know, distance, yeah. There's a big difference because I used to do detaching all the time. I would just immediately pull myself away from any kind of situation emotionally, bury everything. Okay, right. that comes to another question. How do you release those emotions? So this is what's interesting. Um, sometimes you don't want to go straight into the witness perspective because that's also, it can be a bypass. If it's becoming unmanageable, 
and you just can't deal with the emotion, yes, you can distance yourself from it, become the observer. But we want to feel the feelings and allow them and allow them and accept them for being there. And this is where inner child healing comes into play. Is that when you notice these feelings surfacing within you, you can actually tell yourself it's your inner child crying out for love. It's your inner child feeling the same pain and hurt from the past and bringing that into your present. And what you can do in those moments is validate your inner child's feelings and allow them to come and allow them to be there and then hold your inner child, you know, visually in your mind, hold your inner child and let them cry it out. This is also a form of, of distancing because it's no longer you that's experiencing these emotions. It's now your inner child. So, mm -hmm. so the other day then my fear, fear of being seen might have been actually voice of my inner child saying, no, don't, you yes. know, what's going to happen if we do this. Yes. Perfect. hundred percent. It, it was your inner child in the courtroom saying, please don't put me through this again. Exactly. Wow. Okay, there's some tears here. <laughs> um, good. That's good. Let them out. There's, uh, that's amazing to be able to peel this back and really understand, you know, what all this is. And then uh, as well as explain to myself why I was attracted to that word, emotional resiliency. I read it and it hasn't left me. It's like, okay, I got to know more about this. <laughs> what is this? It feels right. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for that. So this, in this moment, the last couple of days, knowing that my inner child was afraid, um, I need to lean in and ask her, listen to her, what she needs. Now, is that where that comes into that awareness, that inner awareness or our body awareness? Mm -hmm. All tie in together. Yeah. But now that you understand or that you know it's your inner child crying out for your love, the key here is validating her emotions. Whatever emotions she had back then, I would wager to bet that they were never really validated because everyone else had their own agenda. Oh, that they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was, there was no validation happening at all. It was do the hearing be told by my mother. She hated me, never wanted to see me again, get on a plane, go to California and into a foreign house and foreign state, you know? Um, and life just went from there. Um, pretty much, volatile and then you know you know the story so yeah i do and so in this moment in this memory this emotional flashback your duty to your inner child here is to allow her to feel safe to share her truth and to express herself whatever that looks like to her Wow. And that could that could look like a tantrum. That could look like just crying in your shoulders, in your arms. That could look like um, hitting a punching bag. But whatever emotion has not been expressed is still in your body, and your limbic system is holding on to it. Wow. What are, what are some of the ways? How about, let, let's do this. How about you describe the first time that I needed to have that emotional release when there was that primal scream that, as I described, that was, that was inside of me that I had to release. And that's now come into um, part of the gauntlet, part of the program where 
you walk people through emotional release. Mm-hmm. Um, something that they can do on their own, or is this something that needs to be done in the presence of others in a safe space? So you can definitely do it alone. And I also think that there's real power, real strength involved when you allow somebody to witness your process, your emotional release process. And the amount of vulnerability required to allow somebody to watch you throw a tantrum or to kick out and scream and cry and allow your inner child to have those feelings in front of somebody else. I think the, the act of someone witnessing it helps you release on a whole nother level because some inner doors can only be unlocked in the safe presence of somebody else. However, yeah, however you can do it alone. Um, But I would suggest that the first time you do it, you do it with a trained professional to give you uh, at least the blueprint on how it's supposed to go. And also um, lean into the vulnerability that's required when someone is witnessing you. That's amazing. I remember my first experience with that was absolutely... (laughs) I didn't have words for it. I just know that I I had an enormous release. I know that there's still more to be released. Um, it, as much healing as I've done, there's still, it feels like days, mountains to, to move. Um, but I'm taking them away chunk at a time. Um, yeah. And that's why I keep coming back to the programs. That's why I keep... <laughs> I keep at this. I keep at this just because I no longer want to live as I was. You know, for some people, they're going to be able to to roll through and, and take care of, you know, some of their traumas like relationship issues. Um, but when it comes to, um, for some reason, you know, survivors of sexual violence or domestic violence, um, it is exactly like having gone through a war it's recovering from a war Mm -hmm. so i don't know where i was going with that i just know that um emotional release is huge having the ability to to allow yourself to get there is a whole nother topic Mm -hmm. and i know takes some preparation and some training and some emotional resilience yes (laughs) How do they get I think as we get more aware of our bodies and what our bodies are trying to tell us and just allow ourselves to experience and witness the sensations that arise in our bodies and not hold any judgment towards it. A lot of people myself included, have been conditioned to believe that emotions are weak. So for a long period of my life, I would never allow myself to experience emotions. And so when I learned how to practice non-judgment or the art of the witness perspective, I could allow myself to experience what my body was, was experiencing. And through that, I could sit in what used to be discomfort which is now just an experience. The discomfort comes from the judgment. But when there's no judgment, then you can release. Then it's just unconditional acceptance of what is. Do you find that there are times when you still judge yourself? Yeah. Absolutely. So so none of this is, you know... everything that we do, it's all still good. I mean, it doesn't, it's okay that we find ourselves in moments of judgment, moments of weakness, times when we feel like I'm not making any progress. Yes. I think those are thoughts that definitely come up. Um, And I think we just learn to get better and better at correcting ourselves and bringing ourselves grace and compassion 
in those moments. Because as a judgment arises, we can feed it or we can, I don't want to say starve it, but we can allow it to be there and then give ourselves grace and compassion and embrace our humanity. <laughs> I'm sitting here wondering now if you were reading my notes this morning on, <laughs> on what my next post was going to be. Um, it, it has a lot to do with understanding our mas- our wounded masculine and feminine energies and how Sorry, women. my mind went really forward, but how women in the <laughs> 80s, when I was back in the 80s, um, 20-something, we took on this, women took on this belief, women as survivors or as a whole, took on this belief that to be equal to men, we had to suppress our femininity and become like men. So then we're women walking around and raising our families with wounded masculine and feminine energies, both leaning more heavily into the masculine. So, yeah. Anyway. I can't wait to read that. And that is a, we'll have to do another episode on, on the masculine and feminine energies. Cause that's a large topic. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. But it's, it's, it's where my mind went after the, I read the post on emotional resiliency. It's like, wow. Okay because I'm also dealing with some trauma as I raise my grandson, um, his what's triggering him simultaneously is triggering me. And so we're both working through this at the same time. Um, it's, uh, so it's a, it's an interesting dynamic household right now. <laughs> um, we're both leaning, yeah. We're both leaning heavily into inner work all the time. Um, it kind of feels like the gauntlet. It kind of feels like boot camp. And as a matter of fact, um, I have to smile every time he told me this statement the other day, which I'm going to ask you about the gauntlet, but he, um, he told me he liked me better when I was doing the work from the gauntlet. Really? That said a lot. Wow. That was a pretty powerful statement for a, for a kid to make. Um, not that he doesn't love grandma now, but it's because he was learning. He would, he would hear, uh, my reading. He would hear, um, you know, some of the things that I would talk about and he was understanding and he was learning, he was absorbing instead of being told, don't talk about your fear. Right. Do you think, do you think that he could have possibly liked himself better when you were doing the gauntlet and was projecting that onto you? That's possible. Yeah, I would, I would sit with that one for a moment. Okay. So I said again, do you think he liked himself better? Correct. When he was projecting. When you were taking the gauntlet, Mm -hmm. did he like himself better? And now that you're not taking the gauntlet, there, he feels like there's a void there that he's not projecting that onto you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was he was actually able to express his true self. Um, and he actually felt safe enough to do it. Um, because when I'm, you know, when I'm quiet and I'm doing a lot of deep inner work, I tend to pull back and I tend to become very reserved. Um, instead of being open and expensive. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to have to explore that question. Yeah. That's huge. So talk to me about the gauntlet. Let's not me talk to the listeners about the gauntlet. Would you describe, I guess what it is, <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and if you need to go as deep as you want to, because it's a program that, um, that I can't tell enough of people about, um, 
it changed. It sounds so um, minimal to say that it changed my life, mm. but else to say it, it did. Yeah, I mean, the gauntlet is beyond words. It's, uh, it's. I think over this past year, we've put about two hundred people through it, and everyone has gotten what they came there for. They got what they needed, even if they didn't know what it was. And I think the gauntlet is a really special creation that has evolved over time. And it used to be a place where it was more or less a safe container to do the inner work in, which it still is. However, we have, We've added so much to it. Um, gosh, I'm really my the worst salesman for my own <laughs> <laughs> But it's it is a remarkable program that brings people into the authentic truth of who they are, which allows them to accept themselves in totality and release emotions and shame and resentment and all of the blocks that prevent them from living the life and having the love that they deserve. Now, is this, it's done online. Yes. And safe containers. What that looks like is, um, you know, it's a group, it's a zoom call. It's working individually with people that you connect to, which is by the way, that was very, very scary connecting to strangers and sharing your story. Um, sharing your wounds, your deepest wounds, your deepest mm -hmm. desires with others that you have never met in person. Yes. So there's a lot of different intricacies of this program that happen behind the scenes. Yes. So you'll, you'll come into the program and you'll do like oath buddy calls. So you'll have a partner call um, you know, three to four times a week. You'll also have two sessions led by facilitators and you know for most you know maybe five to six days out of the week every week for eight weeks you're doing the inner work and you have one to two days off per week and because you're doing it so consistently well that consistency is actually reparenting that is choosing to show up for yourself every single day for eight weeks which helps you rewire your patterns you get in the habit of choosing yourself, which for many people, they haven't ever chosen themselves. No. So that's just one area in which this program does really instrumental work for people. But like you were saying, the vulnerability aspect of it, when you can express your most authentic truth to people, well, you start to disconfirm that there's anything wrong with you. You start to release any of the shame that surrounds who you are and your belief about yourself starts to shift and you start to believe, wow, there's nothing wrong with me. I am actually really beautiful. And because other people are accepting you and meeting you with connection instead of rejection, the belief about how beautiful you are gets ingrained. And and there's the answer to that question that you asked me about his, my grandson's, you know, projecting. The answer to that would be, um, yes. I'm almost convinced that, that because when, um, when I was in the process of selling my house after the gauntlet, because I took the gauntlet twice, by the way, you remember? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Um, out of pure necessity, there's that much work to be done. Um, and yeah, I'm healing a lifetime of trauma as well as an entire generation of my own family, my children, um, and now my grandchildren, grandson. Long story short, there's a period of time in there when, yes, even though I was applying some of the tools, I wasn't working with it consistently. And I let old patterns slip in, mm. feeling unsafe many times. 
And when, as you know, when we feel unsafe, what are we going to do? Yeah. We're either going to project our emotions and our own feelings of insecurity onto other people and create chaos and look for those moments. Always waiting for the other shoe to drop, living hypervigilance when we're not doing the work on a consistent basis. Right. We'll fall back into, into survival mode, whatever that looks like for us. Yes. And that's probably, I, I don't know exactly what started this recent round of triggers. Maybe it was just time for him. Maybe it was just his reaching his own emotional threshold. Um, whatever it is, he's definitely trying. He's not giving up. So you ever considered doing a gauntlet for kids? <laughs> I haven't, no. <laughs> for couples, yes. <laughs> for couples, and that's the, that would be, that's amazing. Um, I can imagine relationships healing, staying together. I, I can imagine marriages that were ready to break up, we coming back together. We, we had a couple that signed up together, and they were on the fringes. They were like, ready to go their separate ways but this was their last resort and by the end of it they had become so close and they were just you know so grateful for this experience because they had come back together and with a an invigorated sense of their relationship of each other of a deep understanding of each other's wounds and how those manifest and how to be understanding and loving and accepting of everything and not project their stuff onto each other it was it's just so amazing to see what comes of this. And, you know, there are people in the gauntlet who meet each other there and have a relationship because of it. So, you know, it's, it's saving relationships and it's also creating them. Wow. Okay. To that, uh, the, the, yes, I did. I, I was aware of the couples. Um, I mean, of the people meeting in the gauntlet and, um, no, it's not to say that it's a dating club. <laughs> it's no. just no. It's it's something that just happens when that connection, you know, connection is uh it's something that I'm still working on. Something I'm still working on on reaching out and making connections. Um it takes a lot. It takes a lot to be able to tell somebody what you want. So mm -hmm. yeah, it does. <laughs> um all right. Other programs. You mentioned another one that um, I am particularly fond of, and that's the Blueprint. Mm. Yeah, so the Blueprint is like self-study now. We, we did a live version, and we recorded it, and we made it all nice and pretty with, you know, have video editor and added some more meditations to it and packaged it up real nice with a bow. And that's now an evergreen course, which means you can take it at your own pace at your own home and just go through the modules one by one. And you also get a 129 page PDF with uh, lots of deeper self-study and a lot of uh, introspective journaling prompts. And it's a really great way to get all of the awareness that you need. And then once you finish that, the ideal approach would be do the blueprint, learn everything you need to learn about like all the self-awareness that you need. And then you go apply it in the gauntlet. So the main difference between the gauntlet and the blueprint is that the gauntlet is where you ex get to experience the change. That's where you get to apply the awareness. And awareness without application is just information. So you can hold on to the information and, and take the course or read the memes or read the book. But if you're not actually applying it consistently you're not going to change. And so that's the beauty of the gauntlet is it it's actually the catalyst for the change. It actually facilitates change. And that's why it's so impactful. That's amazing. I know that I think I was very appreciative of the blueprint course itself just simply because I mean I the the information that I gained about myself about my own attachment style um before the blueprint i had no idea what attachment theory was 
And since then, I have really been digging into it a lot of my own, um, even going back to a lot of what you post on Instagram. Um, and most recently, you did one on the fearful avoidant or yeah. disorganized attachment style. That's me all the way. Um, sometimes I get a little frustrated because some people will take the disorganized to mean that you know, that they're, they're like a, a pot of goulash, you know, they're just a mix of everything <laughs> instead yeah. of really looking at applying and, and peeling back everything in their life, pinpointing where they might've used one of the insecure attachment styles and the survival tools that came with it or survival responses that came with it. So, um, yeah, fearful avoidant is a tough one, but that's what I learned in the blueprint. You know, I was able to learn about how I am, why I am, you know, how I got here, what all this meant. And it wasn't just me being born unworthy or that I was a mistake. I was never a mistake. Coming to that realization, I wasn't a mistake. I was intended to be born at the time that I was to the parents that I was so that I could come forward and eventually share my story and make yeah. a difference to somebody's life. It's incredible. All that came out of um, a moment over a year ago now, well over a year ago, that I too was suicidal. And uh, yep, found your page instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll Life never forget has, that. <laughs> Life has come full circle since then. I mean, and in a very good way, you know, a very good way. Um, and I do get scared. I get scared. On, I have to fight fear every day. I have to fight fear of, of um, the unknown, the uncertainty every day. That's where the emotional resiliency comes in. That's Correct. Right. Okay. Goodness. Okay. Well, I have kept you like forever now. Do me a favor. Um, if you would, please let the listeners know where they can find you, how they can find out more information about the gauntlet. Um, I'll be posting it as well, but hearing it from, from you yourself, I always feel like it's very valuable. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so quick message to everyone listening. Just want to say thank you. I'm really grateful that you stuck around long enough to make it to the end of this podcast episode. You can find me and more of my work on Instagram. It's probably the best place to start. And my Instagram handle is at the, T-H-E, Miles with a Y, Scott. So T-H-E-M-Y-L-E-S-S-C-O-T-T. And information on the blueprint and on the gauntlet would be in the link in my bio. And once again, thanks. Thank you so much for being here and for listening all the way through. Much love. Thank you so much today for this. Um, once again, I, I, you know, just speaking with you over this past hour, I have um, uncovered two false beliefs. So um, if two of them can be uncovered in an hour, can you imagine what can be uncovered in eight weeks? <laughs> Sure. That's what I, I love that, that aspect of you so much is that you never miss an opportunity to learn something about yourself. You're always digesting the information in real time, processing it to continue your inner work like in real time, which is such a beautiful thing to see. Cause I know for myself, sometimes it takes a, a minute for me to process the information after the call. You know, so I sit with myself, I reflect, but you, you do it right there in the moment. And I think that is just so amazing. Thank you. I am deeply touched by that. Um, and I'm, uh, I, I can pretty well tell you as I go through and listen and re-edit and everything else on this, um, more posts are even going to come out of it just based on more that I have learned and uncovered. Um, and um, this work is not selfish work. This work is selfless uh, because if it, I, I just don't want to continue to bleed my story all over other people. Um, it's time to heal. It's time to heal this generation and the, the ones that are to come. 
So mm-hmm. I think the story is, is what, what I'm hearing you say is that you no longer want to bleed previous reactions and things on people, but the story you want to share yes. in order to help them as well. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I wish you an absolutely wonderful rest of your day. Um, go play with your, your new loved one there, your little puppy. <laughs> yeah, he's sleeping right now. He looks so cute. <laughs> and um, that's about it. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And everyone, thank you for listening to this very special edition of Unfound. We'll see you thank on the other side. Thanks so much, Cher. All right. Thank you.